This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. I'm Ann Romer. Welcome to The Feed on Sign of the Times. A recently released Canada Helps Ipsos poll revealed some sad and frankly shocking results about just how great the need is among Canadians for financial support and the strain this increased demand is having on charities. In the next six months, almost a quarter of Canadians, 36% of whom are 18 to 34, plan to access charitable services for essential needs, things like food, clothing and shelter. And more than one in four parents feels they'll have no choice but to access services provided by charities in order to help support their children. What is particularly concerning is the fact that Canadians are widely scaling back on their charitable giving this year. Canada Helps is this country's largest platform for donating and fundraising online. In the past 22 years, over 3.6 million people have given more than $2.3 billion through Canada Helps. There has never been a better time or a greater need to show me the money. Nicole Danese from Canada Helps joins us now with more. Welcome to the show. And honestly, Nicole, those are some pretty troubling stats. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Um, they are quite alarming and um, they, you know, there's actually been an increase Um that number in terms of the number of Canadians relying on charitable services has actually increased. It was at 14% in January 2022. Here's what I find shocking. Uh, one in three, so 35%, aged 18 to 34, they're going to need essential charitable services in order to survive. How does that happen in a country like Canada? Right. You know, we are all facing the rising cost of living. It's it's no secret. You can, right when you go to the grocery store, you can tell instantly when you're looking at those prices. Um, but of course, these numbers really show us that there are communities in Canada that are really in need and they are needing um, support from these essential charities. And luckily that there are those organizations out there. Um, you know, one of the other stats that um, was also quite alarming is that one in four parents expect to access charitable services in the coming year. So it really speaks to sort of a, a younger demographic and also parents um, needing those services um, in the next six months. And let's talk about the parents, one in four, as you mentioned. What kinds of things will they be needing and, and what will those services provide for them and maybe more importantly for their children? Right. So when we ask this question of Canadians, we ask them if it was essential needs that they would be looking at to receive from these organizations, these charities. And these are, you know, essential services such as food and shelter, for example, very basic necessities that, you know, many of us take for granted. All, you know, charities, there are 86,000 registered charities in Canada, which is quite amazing to sort of wrap your head around. Um, and Believe it or not, I think a lot of people sometimes forget perhaps that all of us are touched by charities quite often. If you've ever been to a library or a hospital, those are often um, you know, supported by registered Canadian charities that are all listed on Canada Helps. Um, but those organizations, those local organizations like shelters or food banks, they're providing really critical services to Canadians in need. These are people. And I think that sometimes we forget that when we look at the results of surveys like your Ipsos survey that just came out and another that talks about ways of giving. 
these are people. These are, are people who are trying to live their lives. They're trying to survive. They've just been through a pandemic. It's got to be heartbreaking for you at the Centre of Canada Helps, although on the flip side of that, you're doing everything you can to help Canadians. Right. And, you know, that's what we do at Canada Helps. We're, we're here to make it easy for Canadians to be able to give to the causes that they care about in the way in which they want to be, you know, be able to give. Um, at the same time, you know, we're seeing this demand increase, but at the same time, um, you know, donations have sort of softened and flatlined, especially over the last, I'd say, six months or so. Um, you know, we've seen spikes throughout the year when it comes to uh, relief for Ukraine, for example. Um, there was a, a small spike in um, back in September during uh, Hurricane Fiona relief, for example. Um, so, you know, Canadians are very generous and they respond when there is need, which is fabulous. Um, but as part of the Ipsos survey, the other thing I want to touch on is that um, Canadians have, um, you know, loud and clearly, um, you know, continue to give, but there's a segment of Canadians, 13% um, are planning to give more this year than last year, um, but 20% of Canadians are actually expecting to reduce their giving this year. So, you know, we're seeing this rise in demand, but 20% are actually expecting to reduce their charitable giving this year, which um, it doesn't exactly even out in that sense. And why are some Canadians scaling back or not giving at all, do you think, this year? We actually asked them as part of our poll, and um, of those, uh, among the, the individuals who intended to give less, 74% actually said that their main reason for doing so is because the rising cost of living has negatively impacted their finances. Supply and demand. It's what we learned about in school, in university, economics 101. So in this case, we're talking about a supply that is lessening and demand that is increasing. So how is this going to work out? You know, Canadian, Canadian charities, um, some of them will have to really just stretch dollars further in order to make sure that they are supporting anyone who comes their way asking for support. Um, for other organizations, that may not actually be the case, that, you know, there's only so much, um, so many resources that a charity is able to provide. Um, you know, so it's sometimes it's, it's a bit of a tough decision, and anecdotally we've heard of, charities, you know, really struggling to meet with that demand, especially small charities as well. Um, so, you know, we're hoping that Canadians um, are aware of this this challenge that charities are facing and Canadians are facing and can give generously this holiday season. And that leads me to my next question. Let's talk about the 12 Ways of Giving campaign. Why did you launch it? What are you hoping to achieve? Great. So we launched this earlier this month, and um, essentially it is covering different ways that Canadians can engage in charitable giving. They're both online and offline methods, some, uh, you know, ways of giving that involve donating money, other, other um, opportunities uh, like volunteering and donating your time, um, giving monthly, which is actually one of the most strategic ways to give um, because it allows not only you uh, to be able to budget throughout the year in terms of your, your dollars that you're donating, but it also, as you can imagine, allows charities to understand and um, you know anticipate that sustainable funding month after month. So we have launched a campaign that really, in the lead up to Giving Tuesday on November 29th, 
um, really highlights those different ways that Canadians can choose a cause that they care about and there are different ways to give. Some fresh polling out just this week from Ipsos uh, talks about uh, the fact that nearly half of Canadians now prefer to receive charitable gifts over material gifts this holiday season. So that's got to bode well when it comes to ways of giving and, and your 12 ways of giving campaign. Let's uh, now analyze some of the ways of giving that are, I think, quite clever and they just don't feel quite as difficult as pulling out money and handing it over, if you will. Right. I also, I I think so too, certainly. Um, one of those ways of actually giving a charitable gift is through a charity gift card, which is one of my favorite ways to do so. Um, and it actually allows the purchaser, the giver, uh, to be able to receive a tax receipt, which of course is an added bonus. And it allows them to give to a recipient of your choosing, of course, um, you decide how much money you want to put the put on the gift card, and then your recipient gets a very personalized gift because then they can go to CanadaHelps.org, search from over 86,000 registered Canadian charities, everything from you know um, animal charities, international charities, Indigenous-led charities, um, you know you name it, arts and cultures charities, and they're able to choose either one or more organizations that they get to allocate those funds. You also suggest if this is up your alley, you launch a fundraiser. And I immediately think about active and inventive young children putting together fundraisers. Right. It sort of takes the old, you know, fashioned lemonade stand up and launch <laughs> when it comes to fundraising. Um, it's another popular way of also uh, fundraising on Canada Helps as well, where it takes, you know, a couple seconds to launch your fundraiser. And the really nice thing is you actually can pick more than one charity to be able to fundraise to. And it makes it very easy because you don't have to, you know, your recipients get a tax receipt really quickly afterwards, right after they make the donation, which is convenient for you, the charity, and also your supporters. Um, and it also, we send all of the money directly to the charity. So, you know, a fundraiser doesn't have to worry about that admin admin work as well. You also suggest volunteering. And at this point in people's lives, a lot of folks are leaning toward finding paid jobs rather than volunteering because of the economic woes and problems that we're dealing with. But volunteering is certainly a way of supporting charities. Certainly. And actually, I think many people would likely be very surprised to know that 78% of Canadian charities are small charities and 90% employ 10 or fewer uh, full-time staff, but 58% are actually solely run by volunteers. So more than half of small charities are actually run by volunteers who are giving of their time, uh, which is quite incredible. Um, So, you know, we all, um, you know, volunteering is is quite powerful in that way, and it, it really depends on, of course, how much time you have, and there are other ways to support charities as well. Um, But the other thing that I also will just highlight is that we also did another survey back in August among small charities. And when I speak about sort of the struggles that small charities have had, um, they have also really faced issues when it comes to the number of volunteers that have come back during the pandemic. So 55% of small charities have actually seen a decline in the number of volunteers, um, which is, you know, continuing to remain before, below, excuse me, uh, pre-pandemic levels. And I think volunteering is sweat equity in its finest form, quite frankly. 
Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful way, I think, um, you know, if you're able to, to lend those hours and your, your time and skills. Not a, You know, everyone lives very busy lives, of course, and, and you know, um, you, can, you can give what you have and you can also, um, you know, give your time and talent in that way. Cryptocurrency. Let's talk about that. It's something new that we have launched on Canada Helps back in May, um, and about 13% of Canadians actually own cryptocurrency assets. Um, many of them are sort of in the millennial and generation Z age group, um, and they're already holding on to these assets. So we wanted to make it easy for those individuals to be able to donate uh, cryptocurrency to their favorite small charities. So um, it's still it's still new on Canada Helps in that sense, but it's it's really tapping into those younger donors, I think, that are already really engaged in the cryptocurrency markets. And you think about the younger people who are involved in the the problems of sort of staying uh, with with food and clothing and shelter, that back to that statistic that 18 to 34 is the largest group of those who are needing help from charitable services, that still stuns me. That's 18 years old to 34. The, you know, these are to be their prime times in their lives as they're pushing forward and forging careers and homes and families and so on and, and to have to access charities for essentials like food, clothing, and shelter is just, it's it's heartbreaking. Right, and many of these individuals in that age group are just coming out of school, and and for the most part, they have experienced the pandemic within their schooling years, so it's it's been uh, quite challenging, I think, for that group of individuals, and I think it gives even more of a reason for Canadians to be able to support um, these organizations on the front lines, um, especially, you know, on Giving Tuesday, on uh, this uh, upcoming Tuesday, um, where many Canadians will be giving. You've seen a lot in your time. I believe that you've been with Canada Helps for many years, seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. Have you ever seen anything like this where we're seeing a, a decline in donations and an increase in the need for charitable services? Um, yes, I, I, I've been with Canada Helps for the last seven years or so, and I remember in the early days of the pandemic, we were really wondering if Canadians would respond, but they certainly did, and, um, you know, we saw so much, uh, you know, so many donations roll through in that 2020 year, um, and also continuing on until 2021, but this year we've certainly seen, as I mentioned, you know, a bit of a flat lining in terms of donations with peaks around, you know, uh, Ukraine uh, humanitarian relief, for example, Hurricane Fiona, a peak. Um, So, you know, we know that Canadians are generous and respond in those crises, but um, I think the pandemic and also the economic uncertainty that we are all facing, um, you know, has taken a a bit of a toll and and we wanted to sort of use this information um, from Canadians themselves in order to highlight these challenges. In other words, look in your own backyard and offer support. Right. There are so many local charities uh, right in your community, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite familiar with the organizations in my um, community, and, and I'm, we're hoping that Canadians also reflect on which causes that they care about, um, you know, this holiday season and give to those organizations. And the other thing, just to circle back to that charity gift card um, idea, one of the reasons why I also love that is because it allows children to get involved um, and it, it kind of gives them the agency in order to pick the organization that they want to support, that they they care about, um, and donate those funds on that gift card. Nicole Danese, thank you so much. From Canada Helps, we really appreciate everything that you've just talked about. Thank you. 
So everywhere you look and listen, you're being reminded that tis the season to give, receive, and in some cases, shop till you drop. Mounting monetary pressures and escalating economic woes you'd think might put a damper on holiday spending this year, but not necessarily so, according to a FedEx Express Canada Angus Reid survey. Joining us now with the festive details is James Anderson from FedEx Express Canada. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you for having us. So the headline, when it comes to your survey, Canadians are gearing up to be savvy shoppers this holiday season. What does that mean? Well, we do a survey every year. And in that survey, we ask Canadians, tell us about how you're going to approach the holiday season. And we've got a special interest when it comes to online shopping. What Canadians told us was a little surprising, given all the economic pressures we've been feeling and reading about uh, over the course of this year. 78%. Almost 8 out of 10 Canadians expect to spend the same or more this holiday season. Only 1 in 5, or 22%, expect to spend less. What that tells us, though, is that while the budgets may remain the same, our survey respondents are also saying they're going to be very strategic. They're going to use both retail and uh, e-commerce, the power of e-commerce, to find deals. They're going to be bargain shoppers more this year than they have been in years past. You know, it's interesting. One of the uh, headlines also in this survey is that shoppers will be shopping with intention. Does that mean looking for a bargain, or is there something else with the word intention that is involved? Yeah, there's there's two uh, prongs to their strategy, if you would. It's, it's finding those deals, and they will scour all across Canada to find those deals, either through online tools, and we may remind them that you know, there's, there's a whole world to do your shopping as well. Um, and FedEx has, certainly has the network and the capacity to, to bring gifts from right around the world to doorsteps right across Canada. But also, they're, they're going to be shopping around key milestones. So the majority, about uh, 60% of Canadian shoppers, will have their, um, their holiday shopping done by very early December. It's because they're going to be taking advantage of deals that uh, reside on Black Friday, on Cyber Monday, um, you know, and, and so they're, they're looking to know, they, they know when the deals are going to hit the market, and that's when they're going to pounce and make their purchases. So early shoppers, as part of the survey, plan to wrap things up by early next month, early in December. What does that tell you? It tells us that they want to be strategic in ensuring that all their, their budget is uh, complied with by early December. So they want to get all the deals, they want to get the, the early bargains and they want to have their to-do list done as early as possible so that the remainder of December remains stress-free for them. 87% of holiday shoppers feel the weight of rising inflation and increasing prices, but then we go back to that first stat that we talked about. 78% of holiday shoppers polled expect to spend the same or more compared to last year. How does that make sense, dollars and cents? You know, that's a question that really stumped us when we saw the, res- uh, the results. And what we can say from a, from a FedEx network perspective, we are not looking at the same number of packages to hit our network this, what we call the peak season, which is the online holiday shopping season as we have in years past. Um, but, you know, even though they are spending an amount, that, that, that may not necessarily mean that they're buying the same amount of gifts. Things have gotten more expensive, and that could mean fewer packages that do come into our network. So... I get it. You know, they, they, they expect the same amount, but that may not translate into 
buying the same number of gifts. And in the survey, also recognition that e-commerce is fostering smarter shopping habits. So you did say earlier in our conversation that there will be a bit of a split between going in person to shopping uh, malls and, and, you know, that in-person experience and also online shopping. How does one find best deals? First of all, in-person shopping, but maybe most importantly, online shopping. What does a savvy, smart, bargain-hunting shopper do? When it comes to holiday shopping, I personally am not that savvy, but this year (laughs) has forced me to be. So I'm doing something completely out of my comfort zone. I am going into stores, and I am going online, and I'm doing my research well in advance. With online shopping, I'm finding it easier for me to browse a number of sites, and there are great e-tailers right across Canada that... Uh, put their products up and they, um, you know, just give the ability to, to shop, browse. It's window browsing at your fingertips. So you can find the deals, you can find the availability, and when it comes to online, I love it personally because it's just a matter of clicking a couple buttons and it gets delivered to me with nice and ease. With FedEx, you get the power of digital tools at your fingertips so that we take the work out of worrying about getting the packages to you. You know, we, we give you tracking notifications. We even have a new feature this year where um, when we deliver your package, we'll send you a picture of the, the of where we dropped off the package for you. I think it all sounds great. And it sounds like you've got your Santa hat squarely on your head, James Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us from FedEx Express Canada, and happy holidays. Thank you for having us. If you're shopping for a winter getaway, start packing and planning. Here's Tina Cortez with some travel tips. Here's what we know. It's been a tough couple of years. Many who are able are considering escaping the cold Canadian climate for something a little warmer. If you're thinking about winter travel, Daniel Hader, Senior Product Manager from CheapoAir.ca, may have the answers. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hello there. Thank you very much for having me. So I've got to ask you right out of the gate, is it too late to consider or book winter travel? Um, no, it's definitely not too late. Um, what we see on CheapoAir.ca is that most travelers tend to book um, their trips one to four months in advance of their getaway. So there's really still plenty of time if you're looking to get away during these cold months, December, January, February, March. There's still plenty of time to book a getaway. Um, in fact, one thing that's worth pointing out to, uh, to, to people who are still looking to get a get to, to book a getaway this winter is that at the end of the month, you may be able to find some great deals for winter getaways, uh, but also Travel Tuesday, which is obviously specific to travel, which is on the 29th. So if, you're, if you haven't booked a getaway yet and you're looking for something for this winter, that could be a, a great way to find a good deal. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to ask you about is, you know, we hear that if you're looking to book a vacation, that there are those certain days to search for the best deals. Is that true other than those days that you just mentioned to us? So in in terms of the days that you do the search, there's not really going to be much fluctuation there. If you're searching today today or on a weekend or during the week, that's not really going to change very much. What will change is the travel dates, the travel dates that you're booking. Typically, weekend travel dates are going to be a lot busier and a lot more expensive to book. So what we really encourage people to do if they're trying to get the most savings and find the best deals, and if they have the flexibility, is to look at weekday travel flights. Look at flights during the week. These flights during the week are often significantly cheaper than traveling on the weekends, 
And then also because you would be traveling during the week, typically the airports are also generally a lot less crowded because there are fewer, there are fewer flights during the week. So that can be a double win. It can be less crowded and also a cheaper deal if you travel during the week. And what are some of the winter hotspots? Yeah, so what we're seeing right now in terms of bookings on cheapaware.ca, um, and really I think this is something that's happening because the season's changing right now, you can really, you can really feel it, is that customers are really primarily booking travel to the southern United States as well as to Caribbean destinations. So we're seeing a lot of bookings to Miami, to Orlando, to obviously Florida being very popular, California also very popular in our bookings for this winter period, and also typically Mexico, as well as other destinations around, uh, around the Caribbean. So I think people are starting to, to starting to feel the cold here in Canada and looking to warmer destinations in the southern United States as well as in the Caribbean. Um, and I think one of the big decisions that a lot of Canadian travelers are, are thinking about right now for winter travel is, do they go for sun or do they go for snow? Mm. <laughs> sun may be the more traditional winter getaway for Canadians. But we're also seeing a growing number of travelers who actually want to stay in Canada for their holidays, whether that's to go on a ski holiday or really to enjoy the snow here in Canada. Those are great options. So if you are planning to get away this winter, but you're trying to stick to a budget, what advice do you have for our listeners? So this, this question is really important to us, and we hear it all the time from our users. It's one of our core brand values. Obviously, it's in the name. We're cheapaware.ca, so it's one of our core brand values. And I don't have any insider secrets or sort of special tricks that I can say, uh, but uh, what I can say is that if you can be flexible with your travel dates, we talked about that earlier, that's really key to save on your travel. If you're able to consider layovers or maybe different airports that are, um, that are perhaps different to the ones that you'd originally searched from, and then also using an online travel agency like our website, cheapoair.ca, where you can really compare flights from different, um, from different airlines, that's often the best way to, um, to, to, to find a great deal. Another thing that I'd say is that if you're able to be open to new destinations or different destinations, you may find lots of deals to places that you hadn't previously considered. So if you don't have your heart set on one specific place and you're happy to have a bit of serendipity and maybe just explore a new country, then you're much more likely to be able to discover, to be able to discover a deal to somewhere new. How do you make the experience at the airport as easy as possible and not anything like, you know, some of the horror stories we heard at airports this past summer? Absolutely, yeah. So this is something I also experienced myself because I'm a, I, I love traveling and I went through some of this myself. And I know there were a lot of horror stories during the summer. I think that's a lot better today. Um, but regardless, what, one of the biggest pieces of advice that we give to our customers is, really to arrive early, and if you can, also fly earlier, fly early during the day. Flight, t- flight delays tend to build up over the course of the day. So if you can travel early in the morning, there's actually a significantly uh, less chance of there having already been a delay uh, that's already built up and affected your flight. So if you can fly during the morning, that's typically a good way to, to, avoid, uh, to avoid problems. And also get to the airport well ahead of your scheduled departure time so that you can beat those crowded lines. That's, a, that's an important piece of advice. So arriving early and, if possible, flying early. And then the other thing is if you're able to check online versus at the airport, most airlines allow you to check in approximately 24 hours before departure. So we really encourage travelers to take advantage of this. It's a time-saving feature. Um, often you can download your boarding pass as well, so you can avoid those queues and those lines at the airport and save a bit of time. 
For those who haven't been at the airport, who haven't been at Pearson for the last couple of years, is staffing back up to what it used to be, whether it's the airlines or, you know, those in the airport? So that was what was causing a lot of the delays that you would have heard about in the news during the summer was staffing issues at the at the major airports and particularly at Toronto Pearson. That did get a lot better towards the end of the summer. So even in September, October, we were reading news reports that staffing levels were back to normal. Um, and I haven't seen anything in the news to, to, to say the contrary since then. So I think I think the situation is much, much better today than it was in June, July, August. Daniel, if our listeners want more information about cheap flights or great last-minute flight deals, where can they find it? Yeah, so you can visit our website, which is cheapaware.ca, or you can follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, And then I'd really encourage everybody to check out Cyber Monday and Travel Tuesday sales that are available on the website. Again, that's cheapaware.ca. When we come back, Amber Mack and the future of Twitter. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. If recent activity has you rethinking your commitment to Twitter, you're not alone. Shaliza Back is now on The Socials with Amber Mack. Well, it's what we've all been talking about and trying to figure out if we really want to stay on the platform. Elon Musk taking over Twitter has caused quite the ruckus and a lot of people seem to be gravitating away from the social media giant. And it's a social media network that has actually been really relevant to a lot of people for a long time. And it's kind of difficult to find a replacement as well. And joining me to tell us more about this is the one and only Amber Mack. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks for joining me. Okay, tell me a little bit about the decline of Twitter from the viewpoint of a social media expert. Well, I think what we've seen over the past uh, few months and especially the past few weeks is that um, with Elon Musk at the helm of Twitter, we no longer have maybe the stability that we once had in terms of how this platform operates. Uh, We know that he has, uh, as one example, laid off uh, a huge percentage of his staff, thousands of people. And so I think what we're seeing is day by day, Twitter continues to evolve into a place where it's a place where Elon uh, wants to be, but maybe not the rest of us. With that being said, were you surprised by his changes? I think what's really interesting about what we've seen so far with Elon's changes is that um, he's had to change some things back. (laughs) So as much as he was adamant about um, verifying users on Twitter, he did start at a price point of about $20 per user per month. And then, um, you know, it's gone down to $8 per user. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've seen recently where he had to pause the program because it ran into a number of different issues in terms of people impersonating large organizations as well as individuals. So I think it's fair to say that um, Elon has definitely adopted this mantra from the tech industry that we used to see in the late 1990s, which is move fast and break things. (laughs) I like that. I like that. 
And also, that also reminds me, like, a lot of celebrities were basically, like, trolling Elon Musk. A number of celebrities, like, changed their Twitter name to Elon Musk and then started tweeting out things that he wouldn't normally tweet out. But they were like, see, you think Elon is saying this, so you go along with it. Well, I think it's kind of hilarious. You know, I, I saw a number of tweets on the platform and, um, you know, one of them basically inferred that, um, you know, even though Elon thinks it's his platform, it actually belongs to the users and the users are going to mess with him. <laughs> I think that's an interesting approach to take when you think about the platform itself, because it certainly doesn't always operate as one would expect. So we really did see individuals who were changing their display names to make it look as though it was Elon Musk who was sending out some of these tweets. Uh, in doing so throughout that process, we saw that um, that's when Elon reacted very quickly and said, listen, if you're not a parody account, you're going to get taken offline. We saw this with a, a well-known comedian uh, whose account got shut down, but he doesn't seem to be approaching everybody's actions equally. So uh, I think what we've seen again is that uh, day by day, um, it, it is a private company owned now by Elon Musk, we're seeing changes that happen, but they may not be there the next day. And so that gives a lot of people a lot of discomfort in the social media space. And I think that's why we're seeing people who are looking for alternatives. Yes. And with that being said, what alternatives are people turning to? And do you think they're going to catch on? Well, I mean, Twitter is such a unique place, and I, I don't think there is a perfect alternative right now. I mean, many people are talking about Mastodon. Um, of course, there's always platforms that are owned by Meta, like Facebook and Instagram, uh, and then TikTok for uh, a younger generation. But I think the truth is, is that Twitter is unique in terms of it being almost like a giant chat room for the world. I mean, what a interesting, uh, perplexing, and disturbing place to be. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't think anyone can kind of replicate that right away. Way in terms of having a, a viable competitor that has the audience with it. Um, but I do think if people choose to opt out of Twitter, there are some options for them. But I don't think anything exactly replicates Twitter. It is, is very simple, um, but it's unique. And it's unique not because the technology is so advanced. It's really unique because of the number of people who have deemed that an important place to be. And they've gone there. And these are credible people from world leaders to uh, journalists um, to um, people who are, are, you know, organizing fundraisers and the list goes on. I get it. But why? Like, how did we get here? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a really great question. I mean, I think the reason that we are where we are is honestly that, uh, you know, Twitter wasn't making as much money as some people wanted. And then Elon had enough money to buy it. It really is quite as simple as that. What money can get you these days? And uh, we have been talking about Mastodon. A lot of people, you just mentioned it. A lot of people have been mentioning it. And I, I haven't really completely grasped the concept of it. So can you maybe explain a little bit about what people might find if they choose to move to Mastodon? Mastodon is interesting in that uh, many people are setting it up to be a, a Twitter alternative. But if you actually really jump into how Mastodon works, it is is somewhat different. So the idea is that it's open source. So anyone can set up their own little community on Mastodon and run their own community. So let's say that I wanted to set up a community for people interested in local radio. I could do that just that and it will be only those people interested in local radio. So I think that's where it differs from Twitter. What I personally love about Twitter is you can find all sorts of information in one place depending on who you follow. So Mastodon isn't necessarily like that. Yeah, the one thing about Mastodon is um, you can think about it like thousands of little Twitters, right? So the idea that you're not there with the whole world, you're there with the community of people who has decided to uh, join that instance on Mastodon. So 
it is almost like a really splintered version of Twitter. And so although it is interesting, and I think a lot of people are gravitating towards it because they don't want the noise of Twitter, there are many of us, including people in the media, who like Twitter because we're exposed to news from all around the world or different topics that we maybe traditionally wouldn't be interested in. So it is that community, again, that um, reflects such a larger place. And so that's why I think a lot of these social networks are going to have a hard time really competing with Twitter. Yeah. And I think that is what a lot of people are trying to find right now and trying to do right now. And I, I don't know if the Mastodon thing is going to stick or any of the other alternatives are going to stick because you mentioned TikTok off the top as well. That seems to be a space for younger people. And I don't know where older millennials and, and people older than us really fit in that space. I think one thing about TikTok that is important to remember is that it's also a very creative space, right? I mean, it doesn't take much to be on Twitter and engage on Twitter and, and get into conversations on Twitter. It truly is text-based. But if you actually spend time on TikTok, you start to realize that if you want to build a community on TikTok, you're going to have to be a lot more creative than you know simply typing out a few angry sentences. I mean, you really do have to come up with some fun ideas. You have to have talent. So TikTok to me is sort of a, in some ways, a more advanced platform. And um, I think that's what's fascinating is watching the younger generation gravitate towards it. You know, my son is 13 and he was making fun of me the other day. He's like, you know, all of you adults think that we're just, you know, wasting time on TikTok. But he's like, I'm learning things while the rest of you adults go and argue on Twitter. And uh, I thought that was sort of a fascinating look at things um, and uh, probably pretty accurate. That actually, that actually is very, very <laughs> accurate. And a question for you, Amber, as we've seen so many celebrities and, and people leaving Twitter, do you think you're going to stay or are you going to gravitate away from it? Well, I think it's fair to say, and I've thought about this a lot, that if I were to get exposed to the rants of every really rich person who owned a product or a service that I used, I would probably just disengage from everything. And so what I mean by that is that I'm not going to leave Twitter. Uh, I think, you know, there are, are potentially issues with Twitter down the road, but I love the community there. I've been on there since almost day one, and uh, I appreciate the platform for what it is. And I think there is potential in terms of the platform growing and interesting ways. Uh, but I do wish, you know, there was someone more responsible in charge. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to step away. And I think that sort of philosophy is true of how I think of other things. Like if we really all got to intimately know the business owners of every product or service that we bought or used, we would probably be pretty discouraged in the world. Uh, thankfully, we don't always have to face sort of the Elon Musk or the billionaires having tantrums. Yeah, and that is a very good point. And I think we're just going to leave it at that. I think we're going to like take a step back and cross our fingers, hope for the best and hope that Elon can do something and is actually listening to the feedback that Twitter users are giving him. Well, yes. I mean, we know that he's reading tweets. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, if you really want to dive into the world of Elon, you can go and look at his replies on Twitter. I mean, that is the most fascinating part, I think, of his presence on Twitter. So he is listening. He is reading. Will he actually make changes that maybe a larger group of people want? Uh, I'm a little bit skeptical, but I think at the end of the day, he spent so much money on that platform. It would be so bizarre if he just drove it into the ground. Although in some ways it is looking that way. <laughs> It's just a deep breath. And I guess to tweet or not to tweet, that is the question, I suppose. <laughs> Amber Mack, social media expert, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. When we come back, making the most of your ice time. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region.
Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. It could be center stage for New Market's Outdoor Rink. Jim Lang with the explanation. To me, one of the great things about Canada and the great things about York Region is cold weather, sheet of ice, skating outside, playing hockey outside, being part of nature, enjoying winter. And there's not a more perfect example of that than the New Market Lions Park Community Hockey Rink. And the man that runs it is our manager, Chris Howie, joins us on the feed today. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Jim. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, it's a pleasure. I, I mean, I see the photos in your social media and a the, the care and craftsmanship that goes into preparing the ice and then just the photos of kids just tooling around there enjoying the great outdoors the fresh air and the ice i mean to me it's it's canadian perfection yeah I, I, it's been a very rewarding for me it's kind of my man cave but it's my also my way to give back to the community um i never got access to hockey and there was nowhere nine years ago there was no year nowhere for children to play hockey so I uh, I volunteered, and someone should have told me it's 500 to 600 hours, but <laughs> it's uh, it's been a great experience. The kids love it. We we raise donations for the community to help give back, and I'm uh, I'm staring at three tennis courts that I need to get the snow off. So anyone that anyone that thinks their driveway clearing off is uh, is a joy, they should come help out. So. We're going to get to more details about how people can join your cause and help out in a second, but. When you started it nine years ago, did you have a a vision or a thought, Chris, how it would play out and how it would be received? And did it almost shock you, the response to the community? Well, I, I think that, you know, coming back to my point, you know, my family couldn't afford hockey, so I got baseball and did, did uh, tennis. Um, I, I had paper routes to pay for all my equipment, so... I, I felt it was important to give back and, and give ki- kids great ice. I do run it by age group. And it, it has been great to see the community get behind it, especially these past couple of years, you know, with arenas being closed or, you know, limits on, uh, you know, indoor functions or hockey, frankly, being completely shut down last last January. So it's, um, you know, I can't believe we're in the ninth winter already. I do have it down to a bit of a science. I've got a, a great team. You know, Austin Jones always helps me out with building the rink. And then, you know, I've got great support from the mayor, John Taylor, and, and council. And then, you know, I've tried to keep the rink non-political, non-corporate, but, you know, I do have a, a good team of volunteers that will come and help out, hunt pucks and shovel whenever needed. That's fantastic. Speaking to Chris Howie, the manager of this really cool outdoor rink, the New Market Lines Park Community Hockey Rink, that's been a part of New Market New York Region for nine years. You mentioned volunteers. How can people get a hold of you? Because, I mean, you can't do everything. So when you do need an extra hand and people want to help, how, how can they help you out, Chris? Well, I appreciate that, Todd. Jim, um, we do have a group on Facebook called the Lions Park Community uh, Outdoor Rink and then also on Instagram, the Lions Park ODR. So I, I think, you know, certainly you welcome people to join. I do provide daily updates. We are weather permitting. So, um, you know, I'm hoping to get the rink open next week. And I, it usually takes about 33 floods to get it open on average. And I have to go kind of millimeter by millimeter. And then, you know, for, for flooding and shoveling, it's done sometimes at all hours. You know, if it's a, a minus 22 night, I know I am the Zamboni. I'll put down three to thousand, three to four thousand liters of of hot water on a nice cold night. So it's a uh, it's a battle against Mother Nature between November and April to make as much ice as I can. 
and try and keep the rink. My goal is always to be open past March break for the kids that can't go away. And I've been able to do that every year. Last year, I think our last day was April 2nd. I had kids out there almost in short sleeves. Hmm. So they welcome to join the Facebook group or Instagram group for, for daily updates. For people who aren't aware, when you do open the rink, Chris, what are the hours of operation every day? Yeah, it's a good question. So because it's not refrigerated, I, I like to get the best ice for children. So I usually open at four after school. I keep it 12 years and under. Um, I've sometimes had to remove uh, adults off uh, that are that are tearing up the ice. <laughs> um, so I run it uh, 12 years and under after 4 o'clock. Usually I go to 14 years at 5, 16 years and under at 6. And then I will open it up to all ages, usually at 8 o'clock at night. But I do want you know, the young kids that are learning... Also, I, I don't want young children to feel, I never wanted to have young children feel, you know, that an adult's flying around or feel, I don't want to use, you know, I'll use the word bullied, mm-hmm. but I don't want young kids to feel intimidated out there. So that's why I keep the young kids by themselves, especially the ones that are learning. And I mean, that was me. That was me, you know, 40 years ago. I never played hockey. All my friends did. So I was the ankle biter out there trying to play and learn the game on a, on a pond. So, um, and then on weekends, I do open it up to family skate. I mean, I've had figure skaters out there. So on weekends, I usually, usually open up at 10, but it's, it is weather depending. Um, I, I usually on Sundays have family skate. I like family skating together and, and several families have said, you know, this is the first time we've skated together in, in, in years. And, and I, I will say this, uh, my son's now playing AAA hockey in Toronto he started on the ice um, with those little learner blades hmm. at you know one years old, and he wants me on the ice on Sunday Sunday morning. So I I have he's going to realize this year he's faster than me and a better hockey player than I am. So do you mind if I ask Chris what AAA organization is he playing for now? Uh, he was he, he worked hard. He had uh, nine summer hockey tournaments. Uh, I coaches double A baseball as well, and he was. Um, his number one pick he wanted to play for Anthony Stewart, who's uh, mm. coach of the market majors. Yes, he's on on Sportsnet. Um, I have to be honest; I had to look up who he was because I'm not a hockey guy. I'm a I'm a baseball guy. But uh, great, great coach, great organization with Randy and and um, the, the team there. And Connor's Connor's loving it. It's it's, it's hard work. It's a great development year, but he's uh, it's a great team, great parents, great organization. You know, I've uh, written some stories with Wayne Simmons before, and his family growing up in Scarborough, they couldn't afford AAA until he was 16 because that's when he started working and make the money. And it, more and more hockey, this is what it's become. And, and in, in a lot of different ways, because of the price, because of the cost, there's that back to the roots of hockey, skating on an outdoor rink like the Newmarket Lions Park Community <laughs> Hockey Rink and enjoying the love of the sport and the love of the game, and it's I think it's igniting the passion for a lot of people. I, I agree. I think it's key to have unstructured play. You know, you know the hockey practices are, are fantastic, but, you know, letting kids just go out, have fun together, play together. Also, my son, Connor's being able to play with older kids. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, it's always, I think, key to play with older, better children, and... I mean, he'll spend five, six hours there on a weekend if I let him. I, I do try, I do try to manage his <laughs> his legs if he's got a game coming up. But um, you know, for me, it's been great to see his development, and I think Shinny has been a big part of that. You know, he started up 
um, like I did at nine years old, he started up a yard cleanup business, raking leaves mm. and cleaning. I was cleaning the eaves for us. He was he was raking the leaves, but he made himself about seven eight hundred dollars to help pay for his hockey fees. Because you're right, it's not just making AAA. I mean, we're doing a shooting coach. He's doing extra skating with Tara McKay. Uh, we're going to be doing some other hockey camps during the holidays. So it's um, it is it is quite a cost for parents. Um, the one thing I will say about the majors is their their costs are, are I think reasonable compared to some other organizations, which has been great. But uh, it is expensive. I guess a last thing for me, Chris, is for maybe a lot of people listening aren't aware. When the kids are there, is there any kind of supervision off the ice just to keep an eye on things to make sure everything's okay? Yeah, I'm. I'm usually. I'm usually around. Um, we uh, we do have parents that will stay around hunting pucks. I'll usually say to parents I, who are there that I know because I do have quite a few regulars. You know, hey, you guys are in charge if I need to go home and warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or if I have, if I have, like, I run a baseball academy as a nonprofit for children on on Saturdays. So I'm kind of back and forth between the rink and my baseball academy. So yes, parents usually stay around. I do encourage parents. Well, first of all, you know, they have to have a shovel in their hand, and I <laughs> and I have, um, you know, when when Quentin Byfield was on the ice, he was walking off, and I said, you know, where are you going? He says, well, my mom's waiting for me in the parking lot, and I said, well, hey. You know, you got to grab a shovel. I don't care if you're, unless you're Wayne Gretzky, you have to shovel. And we have had Connor McDavid on the rink, and he did shovel. He was out there with his dad and his brother on a Christmas Day years ago. But yes, parents are usually around. And I do encourage, you know, the parents that sit in their car on their phone, sometimes I'll walk out and say, hey, listen, I'm not, I don't work for you. I'm, I'm a volunteer. I'm not a town employee. So rest warmer, come grab a shovel because it's not going to shovel itself. So, and Jeff, Jeff Mayer comes up to my rink. He's with Sports Center as well, and I, uh, I've given him lessons on how to shovel. He'll have a laugh about that. <laughs> I know, Jeff. I'm going to text him afterwards. Jeff, I did, someone had to teach how to shovel. He was pampered Stovallite. You... <laughs> well, we, we, uh, we usually shovel it right down the middle and like a snowplow, and, and Jeff kind of went off on his own uh, into the corner. I said, no, no, we're, we're pushing the snow that way. I had to tell him twice. And I think I may have I may have said, "Listen, are you not Canadian? Do you not like fall over?" <laughs> so it was a good it was a good laugh. I, I I got a lot of time for Jeff. I see him at the rink yeah. as well as with baseball. So I think I think the most important part of the rink for me, Jim, has been we raise donations for the New Market Food Pantry as well as Belinda's Place. Um, I'm going to be raising a donations for In from the Cold this year, and then. Um, Anthony doesn't know this, but I'm going to be raising hockey equipment donations for Hockey Equality, which is an organization that Anthony Stewart runs. So I think, you know, the cost, the entry cost into hockey, um, you know, it's it's going to be, as well as the community, so many need help with the food banks this year. And I do ask parents, if they can, to bring uh, donations. Anyone that shows up, you know, over 20 years old, I, I, I actually require that they bring something. I think that that's I think that's only fair uh, with the hours that, that hours that I put in and my team puts in. So it's it's been a great way to give back to the community and trying to teach the youth and especially my son who helps me out. You know the importance of giving back and that it, that there are people out there that need help. Well, Chris, I I think in the hockey world you're called a beauty, an absolute beauty, Chris Howie. 
and the manager of the Newmarket Lions Park Community Hockey Rink. Thank you for everything you do. Here's to nine more years, and here's to uh, a great fun and by all who enjoy some outdoor hockey now and then. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate that, Jim. If I could have a, a perfect day, it'd be minus 10 and cloudy with no snow. Right up, right up until, right up until the Masters, then go right to seventy <laughs> degrees. So, <laughs> now that's a true Canadian. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Jim, appreciate the call. Thank you. And more good news for Chris: the Newmarket Lions Park outdoor rink has won the chance to be featured in a documentary series. Yeah, that's right. Thanks to online voting, the rink will be included in the ten-episode YouTube series, The Outdoor Hockey Club. It will be released in early twenty twenty-three. Loving it. From the rink to the curling club in Unionville, Kevin Frank is now with the renovation update. The Unionville Curling Club has been uh, providing Markham Unionville with a venue to play the beautiful sport of curling for more than a century. And now they have some funding to go another century. The president of the Unionville Curling Club, uh, James Nelson, joins me right now. Hi, James. Hey, how are you? Good. So tell me about, uh, about this grant. So, going back a little bit to uh, COVID, it was difficult on our club. Our our club being 100 or so years old now, you know, when COVID hit and we're trying to figure out how we can operate, how we can run, a lot of the things that, start, you know, stood out to us was the fact that some of our facilities were lacking for our members. And obviously, during COVID, you know, everyone was, we were, you know, being overcautious with, you know, keeping things sanitary and clean. And let me tell you, our old facilities and washrooms were not that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, in an effort to, like you mentioned, get our club into the next, you know, century and beyond, um, we we desperately needed to update our facilities, and we were really happy that the Ontario Trillium Fund, you know, offered us the opportunity to do so, and we uh, we took full advantage. Almost one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, we were we were pretty surprised when we when we found out that we got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what's the first thing? What's the first step? So it's actually already done. Oh, okay. The work is done. Yeah. Um, so we got beautiful new bathrooms. I don't think uh, I don't think our ladies are going to miss the old wooden uh, stalls, and I'm not sure our men are going to miss the uh, the pink tile in the showers. So. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. Nice, new, clean. Uh, you know, everyone's uh, everyone's loved it. Tell me about uh, about curling in Markham Unionville as well, and the history of it, and how important it is. So yeah, the the club's been around a long time. Like like you mentioned, over a hundred years. And myself, I'm actually a third generation curler at Unionville. My dad and my grandpa still actually curl out of the club. So. For us, it's been it's been a big family for a very long time. Um, a lot of these people I've known my entire life. Um, I basically grew up there, so for us, it's 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 really important. You know, we've got we've got some members that are fourth generations. We've got some members who I grew up with in the junior program that are now having kids that are hopefully going to be members in the next you know ten years or so in our junior program. So. You know, it's really important for us to to keep the the family going, and our our slogan is "Where friendship is a tradition," and we really we really buy into that. We just actually finished 
our most successful Learn to Curl program to date, um, where we had 35 people sign up, and which is which is the maximum that we take on, and 26 of those people signed up. So we're really, you know, pushing to continue to grow the family, and it's been uh, it's been very good. The washrooms were a large help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, so they can give our manager a call, Linda. She's awesome. They can. Uh, Give us a call or send her an email at uh, info at unionvillecurlingclub.com. All right. Thank you very much for this. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. James Nelson, president, Unionville Curling Club. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you very much for listening.